Well, since everyone else was gone, Many, many years ago, I preached in a small town in western Kansas. Uh, had a great work there, loved the people. It's a very different geography than uh, what we have here. For one thing, it was about as flat as this platform, everywhere. You could see forever. One of the ways you noticed from time to time where you were is that you could see the grain elevators. Because every little podunk town had a grain elevator and you could see them. Weren't many trees, but you could see the grain elevators. They were big. One day I had a radio program. The radio station was out north of town. I drove out there. Uh, and on the way back into town, just as I was getting in town, I stopped on the railroad tracks. Now, there was a little town about six to ten miles, I forget exactly how many, maybe ten miles west of Scott City, where I was, called Modoc. People could be very proud for being from Modoc because they had their own grain elevator. But as I crossed the railroad tracks and, and happened to look down them, there was the grain elevator at Modoc, but it was up in the air. It was way up there. I'd never seen anything like that. I just stopped. I stared. There was a railroad track straight down there. I knew where Modoc was, but it was way up there. It was a mirage. When I was uh, getting my instrument license as a pilot, uh, you, can, you can be a pilot, you can fly visual flight rules, but if you want to fly through the clouds and when the visibility is low, you have to get your instrument rating. And one thing they train you to do is depend on your instruments. They even did a demonstration in a seminar I was at. They put a man on a stool that would turn and they gave him a stick. And they said, we're going to blindfold you. And when you feel motion in a particular direction, turn that stick that direction. So they put him on the stool. And they started turning him to the right. And he, he's blindfolded, but he could feel that. And so he turned the stick to the right. So they spun him around a few times and then let him come to just a stop. And it was fascinating because he headed to the right, he headed to the right, and the stool stopped. And then he turned it to the left. He was stopped, but he turned it to the left. That's what it felt like. That's what it looked like. Gary's been talking about mirages, and that's what we're going to talk about today. There are Sometimes, what looks right, what looks like it's a certain way, is not. It's false. And sometimes, what feels like it's right, is not. Now, that's our major premise. And we're going to demonstrate that in the realm 
of our faith and our religion. Sometimes what looks right is not, and sometimes what feels like right in religion is not. And I'm going to use a, a prime example, I think one that just jumps out at you, is the Apostle Paul himself. And he talks about this, um, particularly in, in, in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Um, just, just listen. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I more. I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. There, I was the best there was. But whatever things were gained to me, and I want you to remember that word, which things were gained, because it means meaningful, profitable, which things that I really thought a lot of, that I depended on, that I counted on, what things were gained to me, these things have I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not, listen to it, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Most of you, if you've been going to... Sunday school from the time you were kids, you know the story about Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. You read about him in, in Acts. It starts in 7. It kind of introduces him. You see him in 8 when Stephen is stoned and, and Paul is consenting to that. He's, he's saying that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, and he says how strict he was as far as the law was concerned. He was doing everything right and these Christians were obviously following this, this false prophet named Jesus, and this needed to be stopped because it was wrong. And so he felt, no, he felt very good about being part of Stephen's death. Good thing. But you read about his conversion in Acts 9, 22, and 26. 9 is where it happens historically. 22 and 26 is when he testifies of it, and so you get more insight into it. The, the whole idea was, you notice, he, he's on the way to Damascus to get some other Christians who are down there, and the Lord appears to him and literally knocks him off his feet and changes his life forever. 
And so he's testifying to that there in Philippians when he said, I had confidence. Are you listening? Are you seeing the mirage? The, 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 the phoniness of it? The, the fake confidence? The fake boldness? I, I had confidence. I was, I was at the top of my game. I was ahead of everybody else. And you know what it meant? Nothing. Zilch. Zero. He's saying, I, I believed. I lived in these values. They were my gain, my profit. I had the heritage. I had the zeal. I had the personal goodness. It felt and looked good. It felt and looked right. And then it totally shattered. All an illusion. Verse 9, he said, I had no righteousness of my own. I thought I did. See, I saw the, saw the mirage up in the sky. It felt right. And it was wrong. So I gave it up and tossed it aside. I want us to look at our own hearts today. Would you do that with me? I've been struggling with this, looking at my own. I, I hope you will look at your own. Anytime Jesus says something, you pay attention, right? We've been singing to him as our Lord, our Master, our Savior, our Teacher. He is all of those things. So when he says something, it's worth our attention and caring about. What if he says it again? And then he says it again. And then he says it again. What he's trying to say to us is that I want you to get this. So I have one real truth, one real fact, I think, that I want us to get. And it's nowhere illustrated better than in the book of Luke. Luke does something unique among all the Gospels. One of the things he does is line up a bunch of stories or parables or incidents that Jesus told. And in each one of them, there is a switch. How many of you are familiar with, uh, what was his name, O. Henry, the writer? You know him? Ooh, well, Henry the writer, okay, come on. Boy, a few. Anyway, he was known, he wrote a lot of short stories. Gift of the Magi, that was one of them. But his stories always had an ironic ending, which you thought was going to happen. is turned upside down. Jesus does this. I'm going to look at, get you to look at four instances in the book of Luke. Four of these stories, these incidents or parables, they come in all different forms. But I'm going to notice, get you to notice the way he turns it at the end. It's not like you think it's going to be. For example, Luke 7. There's the story, or the incident really, it was, a it was an incident in the life of Jesus. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus into his home for dinner. 
Now, Simon, it seems, was just curious. He just wanted to have a look at him. Maybe he was trying to find fault with him. I don't know, but Jesus even mentions later on, you, you haven't greeted me, you haven't been a very good host. But the, but the point is that while Jesus is there reclining at table, at the table, someone bursts in to the party, an uninvited guest. She's only identified as a sinful woman. It makes you think she was a publicly known sinful woman, and that could mean a few different things. But the point is, she was known to be sinful. She comes in and falls at the feet of Jesus and kisses them and weeps over them and wipes them with her hair. This was outlandish. Talk about brazen. Walk in and do that, and Simon is appalled. But not hit appalled so much that the woman would come, but that Jesus would let her do that to him. Because he's thinking to himself, if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. That's when Jesus tells the parable, and I'm going to kind of rush through this parable. Simon, a man, had two debtors. One owed a huge sum, one owed a little bit. He forgave them both. Who will love him the most? Simon got it right. Well, the one who he forgave the most is going to love the most. He said, that's right. That's what she's doing. And so suddenly he points out, Simon, you didn't even give me common courtesy. This woman, and he knew she was sinful, has not stopped weeping at my feet. And he says, she is forgiven. The one you thought was the good person in the story, Simon, who is a Pharisee, who is like Paul, doing everything right, thinking this is the way you do things and this is the way you find righteousness. He's the good guy. All of a sudden ends up being the bad guy. And who you thought was the bad person, the sinful woman, the Lord says, I like her better than I like you, Simon. That's important. Why does he? Second example. Luke 15. Everybody knows this one, don't they? The story of the prodigal son. But in this particular story, it's really about the prodigal son and the good son. Remember why he told this one? Because he was eating, he was associating with, he was fellowshipping with some less than perfect people. Sinners, the Pharisees called them, the scribes called them. He's, the bad people, he's eating with sinners. He's having something to do with these people. And that's, why, why would he even do that? So he told this story about the father and the two sons. And you know who's God in this, and you know who the sons are. They're us. So he says that the youngest son demands, give me my part of the inheritance, I'm out of here. I see out yonder they're having fun and they don't have rules like you have around here. And I hear the call, oh my, I, I, and I want to go. Give me my part of the inheritance. I mean, he was belligerent, he was rude, he was disrespectful, he was stupid. I said that one time in some little voice out of the congregation, said, you're not supposed to say stupid. Sorry about that. But he was. 
And you know the story. He goes. He spends everything. His friends are there. Oh, they're having a great time until the money's gone. And then his friends are gone. And he has nothing. And he ends up the lowest, awfulest place a Jewish boy could ever be in the pig pen. Pigs were unclean. You didn't have anything to do with pigs. And he comes to himself. Repentance. He says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I'm no longer worthy. I've sinned against heaven and near your side. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me. I just want to be a servant here. If I can just be that. I just want to come home. And he does. And you know the story. Oh, it's the beautiful story of redemption and of grace. How the father runs to him and how he says, the boy says what he was going to. I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me just be a servant. And it's like the father, no. Tells the servants, quickly, bring a robe and put on my boy. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Restore his status. Bring shoes and put on his feet. This is my son. He was dead and is alive again. Oh, it's the glory story. We love it. <coughs> and so they killed a fatted calf. We're going to make merry. The older son comes in. The good son. The son that didn't go off. The son that had been there all the time. The son that had been doing everything right. Everything right. And he comes in and he hears the sound of the music and the dancing. And if you get to thinking about that, yes, God throws a dance. Make of that what you want to. But the music and the dancing. And he's resentful. How come you let him back in here and you're throwing this big party? Well, you never threw me a party. Oh, son, son. You know, your resentment. He won't go to the party. He won't celebrate that. Because he doesn't think the father should have let him in. When I have been here doing everything right all the time. Are you listening to it? And yet there was obviously something wrong with his heart, wasn't there? The next example is just the next chapter. It's Luke 16. It's the rich man and Lazarus. But did you see how in that other story, the, the bad guy suddenly becomes the good guy? And the good guy becomes the bad guy. You see how he twisted around? Not how we thought that was going to end. And in Luke 16, you got the same thing. There's a rich man who fares sumptuously every day. He's dressed in the finest clothes. He's got it all. There's Lazarus, a poor beggar who sits at his gate, who's covered with sores. I mean, it's about as different as it can be. And, and we don't really get any insight into what their lives were like other than this physical difference. And so... All of a sudden it says they both died and their circumstances was reversed. The rich man is now a beggar in the fires of, of hell. And the beggar is now in the bosom of Abraham. Why, what, what happened? Well, it doesn't tell us. I think the story is 
Some would have thought that because that man was rich, he must have been so blessed by God and God so pleased with him. He said, no, he wasn't. Look where he ended up. And the poor beggar, God must have been displeased with him. Because look, look how he is. But no, he wasn't. He's in the bosom of Abraham, and the other man is begging for a drop of water and not getting it. He turns it around. It's not like you thought. It's not like things look. It's not, not how you feel that they were. There's one more. There's a lot more in Luke. This is one of the things. Read the book of Luke and watch for these things where he takes it and turns it. The other one is in Luke 18. The Pharisee and the publican. If there ever a big difference in two people, here it is. They're both Jews, but they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Here's a man whose religion is impeccable. He keeps the law. He does everything right. He even tithes the, the tiny little herbs and as mint and common. I mean, he, he, he keeps it right. Here's a publican that everybody hated because he worked for the Romans, collecting taxes from his own people, and he wasn't always very honest about it. So, two very opposites. And they go to the temple to pray. A good guy and a bad guy, right? Remember how the Pharisee prayed, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you that I, you know, I fast, I tithe, I, I, I do everything right. I'm not like other men, particularly like that publican. I'm so grateful I'm not like that. And the publican said he bowed his head, smites his breast. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And all of a sudden, the switch takes place. The Lord says, I like him and his prayer a whole lot better than I like you and your prayer. Ooh, shocking, stunning. That's not what we expected. One of the things you see in all of these, go back and look at the heart. What was happening? What was happening in the heart of the Pharisee when he saw the sinful woman? But maybe more important, what was happening in her heart? Here she comes. She doesn't care, obviously, what anybody else thinks. She doesn't care that she's breaking all the social rules. She comes bursting in, and she falls, and with no dignity, with no pride, she clings to the feet of Jesus and weeps over him. And Jesus said, I like that. I like that. I like her heart. The prodigal son comes back from the pig pen. He is nasty. He's done everything wrong there is to do. And he says, I have sinned. I don't deserve to be your son. Just let me be a slave. And he's restored. No, you are my son. While the other one is not. The heart. The heart. 
The boy came back wanting nothing but to come home. The woman came in wanting nothing but Jesus. Lazarus had nothing, but obviously in his suffering, in his nothingness, he honored, he worshiped, he praised God. That's why he ended up where he did. That heart, even in your suffering, somebody might say, you poor, sick, awful person, what did you do to get yourself in that state? Nothing. That's the life God let him have, but restored him because he stayed with God even in his suffering. The heart, are you hearing it? It's about the heart. And the publican and the Pharisee, the publican was a mess. His life was a mess. But he cried out to God, be merciful to me. And he got it. You know why? His heart, his heart, when you come to God claiming nothing, demanding nothing on your knees, not caring what anybody else thinks. Brothers and sisters, we have a terrible tendency to want to look good in front of each other. We have a terrible tendency to put restrictions. If you want to be on my good side, you have to act like this. You have to look like this. You have to talk like this. If you want me to approve of you, you have to. <clears throat> These people could care less. They had a heart for the Lord. Let me come in a wise man said, listen carefully, it struck me lately, it pounded me. A wise man said recently, the greatest danger in life is not that you will fail. That's not the worst thing that could happen to you. The worst thing in life is that you might succeed in something that ultimately doesn't really matter. that you would be really good at it. You hear Paul saying that? I was good at it. And it didn't matter. It was nothing. Had to toss it away. What is gain to you? Where's your pride? Did you hear the words that were read from the pulpit a little while ago? When Jesus said, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable toward God. All your pride, all the things that you take pride in, all the things that we count as, here are the reasons that we're righteous. And I could really get into a sermon here, but probably not the time for it. What do we claim as our righteousness? That we're more scriptural than anybody else? That we're better than anybody else? That we have, we do it right? We, what? In the judgment, is that what we want to claim? Lord, I was more right than anybody else. Sounds kind of like Paul, doesn't it? I had the chance recently 
And everybody was thinking about it. I say everybody. You heard about the revival that was going on at Asbury. It was college, and it was in the news, and people were talking about it. And I had the occasion on, with two different groups to say, what do you think revival would look like today? What would be involved in revival? What would it look like? And they talked about a lot of different things. Each group had some different things. But one of the things that it came down to is that we would have hearts like this. We just sang it. All I need is you, Jesus. You're my everything. I need you. God is more pleased with your broken, humble heart and true confession of sins, asking for grace than He is of your personal righteousness, your scriptural righteousness. So, how's your heart today? Whose heart have you got? When Jesus says to that sinful woman, I like that. I didn't like that. When he says to the prodigal son, I like that. And to the other son, I didn't like that. When he says to the publican, I like that. To the Pharisee, I didn't like that. We must listen. So how do you come here today? When you come to the Lord, you come on your knees, claiming nothing. And as we live before him, we claim the same thing. Any wisdom you might have, oh, that's his. Any strength you might have, oh, that's his. Any accomplishment you might have, oh, that's his. We're going to ask you today, or we extend an invitation. That's one of the things that we do. The elders, the ministers are going to be around the back. Go talk to them. Have them pray for your heart. If we can help you, we're here for you. If you need to come to Jesus, because that's where salvation is, and there is no other. If you're willing to do whatever he says, if you don't know, we'll, we'll tell you. Think about that while we stand and while we sing.